awesome to be uh, here with you this morning. Glad that you could join us for worship. I don't know where you guys are at, but as I've been thinking through this over the last couple uh, days, through the last couple of weeks, I'm just so glad that this is an awesome reminder uh, that we are, in fact, the church, that the building is not the church, that we can gather and come and worship the name of Jesus because it's Jesus who unifies all of us. And so thank you for joining us today. And, and just know, I echo Brandon's word of, of that we love you. We love you. We love you. And so please let us know how we can continue to do that um, in a tangible ways. If there's any meet, uh, needs that we can help meet, uh, we'd love to, to, uh, to pastor you through this time, even though we can't do that collectively together in one place. Hey, go ahead and grab your Bibles if you have those. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 13 today. Uh, we're going to start there. Then we're going to hop over to Mark chapter 9, and then we're going to wrap up in Matthew 17, because we're continuing this morning in our series on parables. And if you recall, a, a parable is simply, uh, it simply means to, to lay alongside of. And so Jesus would take, what he would do is he would take these really complex theological ideas and then he would take some very normal everyday objects or events and kind of lay them alongside his teaching so that simple-minded people like us could actually understand what he's talking about. And so in the beginning of Matthew 13, Jesus tells us four different parables. And in Matthew uh, 13, verse 34, Matthew writes this, all these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. In fact, he said nothing to them without a parable. And what all four of these parables have in common is that they're ultimately about having faith in God. Now, that word faith, it, it can kind of get overused, especially in the church, even to the point of it becoming meaningless. You know what I'm talking about? We, we use that word so flippantly at times, like this person found their faith, or this person lost their faith, or this person needs to, to have a little bit more faith, or this business is a faith-based business, or, or this person just got to keep the faith, whatever it is, we just use it a lot. So we hear the word faith, especially in the context of church and especially in the context of the Bible, it, it actually starts to get translated uh, to believe. But that's kind of tough because even, even the demons and even Satan believes, but they don't have faith. And so what I think is, is, is a better translation of that word faith is the word trust. And so essentially what these parables are, are about here in Matthew 13 are, are trust in God. This should come as, as no surprise to you, but the Bible is full of, of words of, of faith and of trust and of belief. It's a really big deal. In fact, um, Hebrews 11.1 1 actually says that, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Uh, Ephesians 2.8, you've probably heard this one, that, that faith is not of our own doing. It's actually a gift of God. And so faith and belief and trust, it's really a big deal according to the scriptures. And so I got to ask you this morning, wherever you're at, in your own heart of hearts, I got to ask you this, do you trust God? Do you trust him? Do you trust that he is who he says he is and that, that he actually will fulfill all of his promises? And specifically that Jesus lived the perfect sinless life that, that you couldn't live, that he died the sinner's death, that was your death to die, that he rose from the grave, the grave that, that you are supposed to be buried in, and that three days later he gloriously resurrected from the dead. Do you believe that? Do you have trust in that? Do you have belief that, that God is for you, that he's not uh, against you? Do you trust that his love for you is, is not conditional? Do you do you believe that God's grace, which is greater than all of your sin, is enough? 
Do you believe that God and God alone is all you truly need in this life? Do you believe that? If you're honest with yourself, I think you'd come to admit that even though you confess all of that to be true, as, as I do, if you're like me, you'll also confess that a lot of times we substitute faith for worry. Do, do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, because what worry is, 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 in fact, it's just internalized fears. Uh, the pastor who has influenced my ministry uh, more than anyone outside of my dad and my four older brothers is a guy by the name of John Kildy. And he used to tell me as a really young seminarian, he said, Andrew, if you pray, why worry? And if you worry, why pray? If you pray, why worry? And if you worry, why pray? You see, he was the one who taught me that worry is putting energy and time and words and emotion towards the fear of my circumstances. That's what worry was. But conversely, that prayer is ultimately putting words and time and emotion and energy towards faith in God. Can I get an amen on that one? Yeah. But again, even as a believer, as a Christian, we know that faith is a pretty big deal, but so often we trade faith for worry because there's a lot in this world to worry about, isn't there? You got bills to pay, you got tests to pass, you got work projects with deadlines to meet. Uh, maybe a family member has cancer or some kind of sickness, or maybe you're the one dealing with that sickness and illness. Maybe it's chronic depression you're dealing with or the death of a loved one. How about, how about debt? Maybe you're worried about your job, or maybe you don't have work right now, or maybe you've been furloughed in the midst of all this craziness, and you're wondering if there's going to be a job waiting for you on the back end of this. Or maybe, maybe you're worried about getting into that college. Maybe you're worried about your singleness, if that's going to last forever. Am I going to see my friends anytime soon because I miss them, or, or my grandparents, my aunts and uncles and my cousins, I really miss them. I want, to, I want to see them again. Maybe you're struggling with family issues. Or maybe some past hurts from, from family issues that are just still lingering. Maybe it's conflict with coworkers or your boss or a, or a business partner. There's taxes to pay and, and there's healthcare costs and there's all kinds of other insurances that we pay into. Uh, your house, right? Your house and your car, they always need fixing. Maybe your marriage, maybe your marriage is falling apart. Maybe you're concerned about intimacy with your spouse because it used to be a lot better. Uh, maybe... Maybe it's an addiction, and you just can't seem to find any victory. I don't, I don't know what it is for you, but I know there's just a lot of stuff out there. And, and, and if that's not enough, there's this thing, right, called COVID-19 that's just kind of turning the whole world upside down at the moment. And so if you find yourself in this faith journey, but you're struggling with the seesaw battle between the worries of this world and faith in God, if that's you, then guess what? You have joined the right service here this morning because I've got some really, really, really good news for you here today. And I pray this morning that the words that you are about to hear from the Holy Scriptures would be the most encouraging thing that you have ever heard about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Are you there in Matthew 13 yet? I hope you are. This is what we read in Matthew 13, verses 31 and 32. It says, Jesus put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I, man, I got to be honest, I surely would despair 
if I didn't really believe that you cared for us, all of us, that would be really one unbearable burden to carry each day. And so really, please help us to know what anxiety casting looks like each and every day. Help us to live each and every day that you graciously give us one day at a time at the pace of your grace. No slower and no faster. And we pray all of this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Well, I think it's important to note as we come into Matthew 13 here, I think it's important to note that Jesus is talking both personally and he's talking corporately. Corporately in the sense of what's happening here in this moment in Matthew 13. You want to talk about something that comes from basically nothing, some very little. These are 12 men that are wandering around in the deserts of the Middle East. And, and they are JV squad rejects at best. They have no power. They have no authority. They have no leverage in their communities. And in and, and fact, one of them doesn't even make it to the end of this whole thing, does he? Do you remember Judas? And then they're being led by this, this homeless retired Jewish carpenter named Jesus, who basically just goes around telling stories all over the place. And, and, and God actually uses, God the Father actually uses this band of misfits to actually start a worldwide movement called the church. Can you, can you imagine this? And regardless of what you believe about Jesus, he has to be without a doubt, the most influential person that has ever, ever lived. You see, what we enjoy today and what people all across the world, and I'm talking about billions and billions of people week in and week out, what all we enjoy, it all started with this group right here, this group of 13 guys. Talk about something itty bitty, something really, really small turning into something really massive. Amen? I don't know about you, but I praise God that there are churches all across this world, all across this planet that are dedicated to declaring and demonstrating God's inexhaustible grace. I really am. And that just like a big, massive tree, if they were to actually be pulled out of that town, that, that it would actually leave a really big hole in that community. It really would. Where people would no longer come and find rest and find protection from living in a, in a weary and violent world. And so, Emmaus wrote, I, I want you to praise God for churches all across the world, and I want you to pray for them that, that, they would, that they would continue to proclaim this message and declare this message and demonstrate this message, and that people would see our deeds and glorify God in heaven. But Jesus is also talking personally. He's saying here in, in Matthew 13, and all throughout Scripture, really, that if you individually have the faith the size of a mustard seed, God can do amazing things, amazing things, far greater than you could ever think or imagine in and through you. And so flip over to Mark chapter 9, if you have your Bibles, flip over to Mark chapter 9, because Mark 9 happens to be probably my, my most favorite passage in all of the Gospels when it comes to this idea of having faith in God. This is an amazing story here in Mark 9. And once we're done there, we're going to flip over to Matthew 17 because it's, it's talking about the very same event, but, but the authors kind of leave out some details and add some other details that the others don't use. And so hopefully you're there. Mark chapter 9. And in Mark 9, starting in verse 14, this is what we read. It says, And when they came to the place, the disciples... Uh, when they came to the disciples, rather, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw Jesus, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And Jesus asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, 
I brought you my son, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. Now, we just got to stop right there. To which some of you parents are like, man, I've been praying for that spirit over my kids, especially over this quarantine, that they would just have their mouths shut completely because they're driving me crazy. They're driving me insane. But, but look back at verse 18, because this spirit does worse things to this boy. So don't pray this spirit over your kids, right? It says, whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And Jesus answered them, oh, faithless generation. Faithless generation. Guys, you got to know that Jesus isn't talking to the crowd here. He's not talking to the dad here. He's actually talking to his disciples here. And he calls these guys faithless. That's kind of crazy if you ask me, but let's keep reading. Look at verse 19. Jesus answered them, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. So, so to say that Jesus is a little frustrated here is a little bit of an understatement, right? This dad brings his demon-possessed son, to see Jesus because of what he's heard about him. But Jesus is, is upstairs on the mountain, and he's chilling with, with God the Father, with Elijah, and with Moses, who have been brought back from the dead, and he's there with Peter, James, and John. And so this dad was like, I found your other nine disciples because you were up there, and so I talked to them about it, but they couldn't do it. They couldn't, they couldn't cast out this demon. They couldn't help my son. And so Jesus is a little ticked off here at his disciples, but, but why? Why in the world would you call these guys a faithless generation? Because even some of these guys dropped everything to follow after Jesus after John the Baptist said only five words, behold the Lamb of God, and some of them just took off without hesitation. I mean, they have done miracle after miracle up until this point. So why these guys? It makes it really curious, at least it does to me, why he calls them out in this way. So gang, hold on to that question. Why these guys? Why faithless? So hold on to that tension. Look back at verse 20. It says, and they brought the boy to Jesus. And when the spirit saw him immediately, it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked this boy's father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, get this. And it is often cast him into fire and into water. I mean, just picture this scene. But if you can do anything, Jesus, have compassion on us and help us. Gang, this, this dad is desperate, isn't he? Can you feel that? He doesn't know what to do. He has, he has no idea what he can do, if he can do anything. I don't know if you've ever had a, a, a sick child or a sick loved one. But there might not be a more desperate place in life than to have someone who you love and is sick and dying and you're completely helpless. You, you don't know what to do. You can't do anything. You can't help them. Can you feel this man's utter desperation here? If you can do anything, Jesus, he cries out. I've reached out to some of my friends back home in, in Jersey, back in New York, and um, who either have someone who is really in their, in their family that's really struggling right now in the midst of all of this virus, and they're really, really sick. Uh, I've reached out to some of my friends who are uh, healthcare workers and, and are fighting on the front lines in hospitals and on the streets as cops. And I got to tell you, a lot of them feel helpless. A lot of them are worried. 
They're scared. And I've known people throughout my time in ministry before this virus ever popped up who have felt so overwhelmed with uncertainty for whatever reason that they got to this place of helplessness, of hopelessness, of confusion, of frustration, of despair. And this guy cries out, if you can do anything, Jesus, if you can do anything, I'm not even sure you can, Jesus, but the rumors around town are that you are a miracle worker. And so I'm praying, I'm trusting that you can do the things that I'm hearing about. If you could do anything, have compassion on us and help us. You know, there may be some of you that are joining in on the service or watching this and you're listening to this. And you're in the midst of a pretty big if right now. It hurts. It's frustrating. Life has just kind of seemed to be falling apart for you. And the pain is palatable. You didn't see it coming and you just don't know what to do. And so here you are. And I think you're going just like this dad, Jesus, if you can do anything, God, I think you can. I think you can. I think you can. And if that's you, I want you to know that you're not alone. You're not alone. If you've ever found yourself or are currently in an impossible situation, whatever that might be for you, then guess what? You are perfectly teed up for God to do the impossible. Do you believe that? So this dad says, if you could do anything, Jesus, have compassion and help us. And by the way, on the faith meter from like zero to 10, with zero being really low, 10 being like off the charts high, like the, the highest you can get, where do you think this dude is? Like, is he, is he like up, like way up here? Is he like, just kind of like, I don't think so. I think this guy is between like zero and one, like barely a little itty bitty kind of faith. Just a mustard side sees, uh, size of faith. And, and, and I love Jesus' response here because check this out in verse 23. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, but help my unbelief. And Maestro, have you ever felt like that? Those of you joining in, maybe a Maestro is not your, your home church. Have you, have you ever felt like that? No, seriously, I want you to be honest because the real you, the real, Jesus, the real Jesus died for the real you and he can make a really big difference in your life. The fake you, I think, might be just getting along just fine. You know, the persona that you put out there for everybody else to see, it might be doing fine, but how are you doing? Like the real you, your inner being, because sometimes I find myself, if I'm honest, and I'm supposed to be one of the leaders of this church, and that's one of the biggest miraculous jokes and, and proof that there is a God that's out there. But sometimes I find myself in, in places of just desperation and confusion and frustration. And, and I'm like, Lord, all I can do is, is pray like this, Dad. Lord, I believe, but, but help my unbelief. I, don't, I just don't have the words at times. And I just love that the spirit of God in his wisdom was like, Mark, 
you just got to, you got to take what that guy just said. You got to take that prayer, that amazing prayer, that honest prayer, and you got to write it down. So people for all the rest of history would actually read about this event and be blessed by just the brutal honesty of this guy's prayer. I believe the Lord help my unbelief. You just got to write that down so everybody else can read it and be blessed. See, a bunch of people have been taught, and maybe even you've been taught, that once you get your faith meter up to like 9 and 10, like off the charts high, then God will start to unleash his blessings upon you. Have you heard that kind of teaching before? Unfortunately, I have. And man, whose faith, the people who teach that, whose faith do they think this whole thing is resting upon, ours or God's? Mace Road, this man cries out with this prayer, at best with a mustard seed size faith. And then, of course, we know, of course, we know that Jesus kind of answered this guy, came right up to him after he prayed this brutally honest prayer. And he's like, man, that won't cut it because God only helps those who help themselves. And you just got to keep believing more and more each and every day. And once your faith meter is up to like the level of Joel Olstein, like then maybe I'll bless you like I bless him because that dude is like super, super happy no matter what happens to him in his life. Like he's just always got a permanent smile on. Is that what is that what? Jesus says? Is that how Jesus responds? Of course not. Obviously, when I say to have your Bibles there and look at it, I want you to see what it actually says. Look at verse 25. This is how Jesus responds. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. And so apparently this dad's itty bitty sized faith, this mustard seed sized faith was enough to heal this boy. And yet he looks at his disciples and he says, you're a faithless generation. That's just crazy to me. Look back at verse 26. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? This story is crazy, right? And gang, Jesus is going to answer their question. But in the answer to their question, Jesus is also going to show us why he calls them a faithless generation. And it should already be obvious to you by now. But let's look at verse 29 here in Mark chapter 9. He says, hey, boss, why, they ask, why couldn't we cast the spirit out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. To which the disciples go, ah, prayer. <laughs> How did I forget that? Well, why in the world didn't we do that? Because Emmaus wrote, isn't Christianity, one, prayer is Christianity 101, isn't it? It's like, it's like entry level kind of stuff. And here's why Jesus called his disciples a faithless generation. Because the truth of the matter is no one is really faithless, right? Everybody's got faith in something or someone. But what the disciples did in this moment was they displayed misplaced faith. And this is evidenced by the fact that when they saw this boy possessed by a demon, they didn't pray, but instead they were like, I got this. We got this. What they did, instead of putting their faith in the one true God, they put them faith in themselves. They're going under our own power. We can cast out this demon. We don't have to wait for Jesus to come off of this mountain. We can do this by ourselves. And they're faithless. They have what I called a, a practical atheism. They believed and, and trusted and had faith in Jesus, but they acted in their own strength. 
And so Emmaus Road, I got to ask, those of you joining in, I got to ask, where have you been putting your trust? No matter how big or small it is, have you been putting it in you? Have you been putting it in relationships? Have you been putting it in government? Have you been putting it in finances? Jesus said this kind of spirit can only be driven out by prayer. And prayer is ultimately a spiritual position of humility and utter dependence upon God. It's an admission that we make absolutely lousy gods. And so what Jesus is saying is you better put your faith and your trust and belief in me, guys, ultimately in me and not in anything this world offers. Now do me a favor, flip over to Matthew 17 as we close, because again, Matthew 17 is the exact same event, the exact same event, but it gives a different spin on it. And we're going to look there at verse 18, just two quick verses, maybe three. And it says this, verse 18 of Matthew 17. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Everything that Mark had just told us is leading up to this moment. Everything happened. The Mount of Transfiguration, they come down, they have this this conversation with the dad, and, and, and Jesus is ticked at the disciples, and he calls them faithless, all this kind of stuff. They can't cast it out, but Jesus does. And, and, and then it says this in Matthew 17, then the disciples came to Jesus privately and asked the same question, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, get this, he said to them, because of your little faith. And the reason I want us to look at Matthew 17 and Mark 9 together is because when you put these two accounts together, in Mark 9, Jesus says, it can't, it can't be cast out by anything but prayer. And in Matthew 17, he says to his disciples, you couldn't cast it out because of your little faith. And if you take these two accounts together, what Jesus is equating here is that their lack of prayer was evidence of their misplaced faith. And there it is. That's why he calls them faithless. That instead of bringing this to me, the only one who could actually do something about it, Jesus says, you thought you could handle this on your own. And then look what Jesus goes on to say there in verse 20. He says, for I truly say to you, if you have faith like grain of a mustard seed, sound familiar? You will say to this mountain, move from there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Again, is a mustard seed sized faith, is it big or small? It's really itty bitty sized faith, isn't it? Gang, don't think that you have to have this unshakable mountain sized like faith so that God would owe you something and, and have to act because you're so faithful. No, 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 please don't think that because if that's what you think, then really all you have is faith in you, not faith in God. But again, Jesus is saying, if you have barely visible faith, I mean, just very tiny little bit of faith, but faith in me, nonetheless, you can do amazing things because nothing will be impossible for you. Now, does that mean that if you have a little bit of faith in God, that God will always give you what you want and what you, what you ask for? Come on, gang, you got to be real about life, right? No, that's not, that's not what he's driving at here. Because as we talked about a couple of weeks ago in Luke chapter 11, the ultimate treasure in this life is God himself, amen? The ultimate treasure in prayer is who we're actually praying to, the God who we're praying to. Because I'm telling you, there are multiple people that I know at this very moment that are going through some really horrible, horrible, horrible things. And they are praying. They're faithful people. And they're praying. And they're praying. And they're praying. And they're praying. But let me tell you, as someone who knows what they're going through, 
On the outside, the outcome doesn't look much different because of their prayers. Their health is still suffering. Their marriage is still failing. Their finances are still suffering. Their addiction still remains. Their past is still haunting. And on and on and on we could go. And yet the crazy thing is, even though what they're praying for hasn't come about, their faith in God doesn't waver. Instead, it keeps growing and it keeps growing and it keeps growing. Why? It's because God is becoming their ultimate treasure and prize with each and every passing day. It's just more and more of him. It's like a faith of a mustard seed and it looks like nothing's happening. And then maybe not overnight, but definitely over time, it blossoms into this massive, massive tree, this well-rooted faith in God. Because you see, their reward is not their circumstances. Their reward is their sovereign Savior. And man, Sarah, do you want faith like that? I do. I do. And I'm telling you again, God offers you something exponentially bigger than just trying to manipulate your circumstances each and every day. God offers himself. Amen? Mass Road, what are you facing today? Those joining in, what are you facing today? Those listening to this a day or two or weeks from now, what are, what are you facing today? What thing in your life seems impossible? Again, if you find yourself in that place, you are perfectly set up for God to do the miraculous and his best work. Whatever it is, and only you know, so whatever it is, the Holy Spirit is telling you, just bring it to the Lord. Just bring it to the Lord. Just bring it to the Lord in prayer. Don't use this gift of prayer as a last resort. Forget about you. Forget about others. They make lousy gods. Forget about this world's system. Don't put messianic pressure on them because they make lousy gods, but rather come to the Messiah. Come to the one who still has the whole world in his hands. Man's road faith is, it's not a feeling. Because your feelings can go up and down and up and down. C.S. Lewis once wrote that faith is the art of holding on to things in spite of your changing moods and circumstances. I'll say that again. Faith is the art of holding on to things in spite of your changing moods and circumstances. So what's the thing that you're holding on to? What's the thing that you're holding on to as you're staring down the mountain of your circumstances? Only you know that. But Jesus is calling you and he's calling me. He's calling all of us to cling to him, to have faith in him. And better yet, he's calling us to have faith that he's holding on to us. Amen? That no matter what you're going through, no matter what's happening in your life, no matter what circumstance you're facing, that he is right there beside you and he will walk with you each and every step of the way. Emmaus Road, those who have joined in, let's praise him for that because he truly is enough. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, my prayer is simple. And yet it's profound here as we close. Heavenly Father, help us to trust that your grace is all that we need to sustain us. That, that in both good times and, and in times when life seems unsustainable, that more and more of you is truly what we need. Thank you that you are a God who is with us, that, that you fight our battles, that you truly fight our battles of fear and of worry and of uncertainty and of confusion and doubt and on and on and on we could go. Thank you that you always make a way. 
when there seems to be no way, and that that way always leads to more and more of you. We pray this in the good name, the gracious name, the peaceful name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Um, I actually, <laughs> I switched the songs on, on these guys that I was going to sing at the end, and uh, God had a funny way of, <laughs> I think this melody's going to stick really well with where, with where Andrew uh, left us. So I'm going to, um, we're going to go old school so that hopefully all of you can see lyrics here. Uh, you might have to zoom in a little bit on your on your video, but uh, we're going to go old school on the, on the words on the screen just so that you can all see it. Uh, thanks for bearing with. We had a couple tech glitches this morning, but uh, we're going to close out with this song, Yes, I Will. Um, and you all on Zoom and, and Facebook should, should be able to have the lyrics here. So, I count on one thing. The same God never fails, will not fail me now. You won't fail me now in the waiting. The same God who's never late is working all things out. You're working all things out. Yes, I will lift you high. In the lowest valley, yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy in all my days. Oh, yes, I will. I count on one thing. The same God who never fails will not fail me now you won't fail me now and in the waiting the same god who's never late is working all things out you're working all things out yes i will lift you high in the lowest valley yes i will Bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy in all my days. Oh, yes, I will. And I choose to praise, to glorify, glorify the name of all names. Nothing can stand against and I choose to praise, to glorify, to glorify the name of all names, that nothing can stand against. And yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Oh, yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy in all my days oh yes i will for all my days oh yes i will
for all my days. Yes, I will. Amen. Amen. Well, church, it's been good. I'm so glad that you could join us here today. Um, wherever you are, know um, that God loves you um, and is crazy about you and will continue to provide and, and sustain you uh, through all of this, no matter what you're facing. Uh, he is able. Go with these words of, of blessing here today. Uh, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his wonderful, wonderful peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hope to see you and join in next week. God's peace.